0: Our scripture lesson today comes from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29. Let's share in God's good word together. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me, if you seek me with all your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our God loves us and has plans for our good, not for harm. Our God gives us a future of hope, even when we can't see it. More than 20 years ago now, I came across a story about a New York City Transit Authority bus driver that still intrigues me to this day. The bus driver drove his bus on Manhattan Island for 37 years. He drove this bus in some of the worst traffic in the entire world. And he drove his bus from downtown around Sixth Street, by the bus station, all the way up to 116th, up by Columbia University. Then over a little way, and back all the way down to 6th Street. Block after block, stop after stop. He would do this routine time and time again, every day. Up from 6th, all the way up to 116th, over and back down to the island. Probably 20 times a day, five days a week, for 37 years. And then one day, something happened as he started his 38th year of driving the bus on a cold February morning. He started down at 6th, went all the way up to 116th, and he came back down to 6th. And he discharged the passengers that needed to get off there. The bus driver found himself with an empty bus. Every single passenger had gotten off. He had an empty bus and an empty life. And he started his route once again, up to 116th, but this time, He went up Broadway and then kept going. He cut over across the island and took a bridge across to New Jersey and he kept going. And then he turned down through Virginia and he kept going. And then he actually refueled in North Carolina and he just kept going and going and going. This man, driving a New York City shuttle bus, drove more than 10 hours, then 15 hours, then 20, then nearly 30 hours until he stopped in sunny, warm Florida. The local police pulled him over. He was pretty easy to spot driving a New York City shuttle bus in the middle of Florida. And he didn't fight it. He was like, yeah, you got me. Fine. Okay. Now, the New York City Transit Authority came down to Florida to get their bus back. They also wanted to interview this driver who had been faithful to them for more than 37 years. So they asked the question, what made you do it? The driver was quoted as saying, my life had lost meaning. My life had lost meaning and I felt like coming to Florida could give me some hope, maybe some meaning in my life. And then he said, but I don't think it's gonna happen though. It's hard to find meaning in life by moving to Florida or really anywhere in hopes of starting over. It's not about the place, it's about our souls. Henry Nowen asked the question, do you ever wonder if any of the things we think, say, or do are worth thinking, saying, or doing? Now, and warns that the main enemies of our souls are anger and greed. You can find those anywhere. So, here we are. School starts on Thursday. The pandemic is not over, and our kids under 12 are not vaccinated yet. How do we start over in a season like this? We're going to look at what God and the Bible say about starting over. In our new sermon series, Starting Over, and it starts today. I hope you find it helpful. So here we go. Starting over. You see, I want to start with what starting over is not. Starting over is not giving up. Starting over is not leaving. It's not just getting out of town. It's not going to Florida. It's not leaving a bad situation that you're in. It's much more than that. And we need to not mistake those things because we have to remember that God is with you right where you are, even when you don't know it. The scripture says this in Genesis 28. It's the story of Jacob. It says, know that I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Then Jacob woke from asleep sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. God was with him all along and God is with you right where you are. Father Anthony, one of the desert fathers, all the way back um, in the early centuries, said it like this, in whatever place you live, do not easily leave it. And one of the things they, they went on to say as desert fathers was, if you go somewhere, your demons will simply go with you. That anger, that greed that we talked about a second ago, they go with us wherever we are. It's not about the place. It's about the condition of our soul. So sometimes when we get to start over, it's our choice. It's our opportunity. And I had an opportunity to start over when I moved to New York City in 1989 and 1990. And I know a little bit about that traffic. It was my choice and it was a thrill. I moved into New York University, NYU, uh, down at Greenwich Village. And it was great. I had some consequences from those choices. Uh, Some good, some not so good but it was a thrill. I loved the chance to start over from Little Stillwater, Oklahoma to big old New York City, the Big Apple. And that was a really great time to start over. And I am in a long, 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 long history of God helping his people start over. God's people have a history of starting over all the way through the Bible. One of the very first things that we know about starting over is 1,920 years uh, before Christ was even born with a man named Abram, soon to be Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God doesn't even tell him where he's going. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed. 75. Can you imagine? I'm 53. I can't imagine starting over at 75, but it was a blessing. It was a blessing. Our ancestors come from this very story. Think about this. Abraham is 75. He's childless, and God says to go to an unknown land, and I will make you a great nation. A great nation with a 75-year-old man that doesn't have any children yet. Now, uh, hundreds of years later, we have another start over with Moses. And Moses leads God's people out of Egypt and into the Promised Land at around 1300 B.C. Some scholars say it was 1275. Uh, anyway, it's a long time before Jesus still. And they go from Egypt through the Red Sea to the Promised Land. And Moses helps himself start over. Um, out of the Pharaoh's house uh, to the fields where he tends sheep to leading his people through the Red Sea and to freedom. Now, sometimes starting over is forced upon us. Uh, Abraham had a choice. Moses had a choice. And it can be really exciting. Scary, but still exciting. But sometimes, sometimes we don't have much of a choice about it. So in my, in my instance, for example, I had my life changed forever. When I was running hurdles in my sophomore year of high school, I blew out my ACL um, and a lot of things that I used to could do, I couldn't do. It really changed my whole life. And I have such great empathy for all our students who suffer with athletic injuries because, you know, I struggle with it even still today. So I learned to walk six different times when I was a baby, when I was 16 after that accident out in Fairview, Again, when I hurt my knee again at Oklahoma State when I was 18. And then when I was in ministry at Minko, I was playing Red Rover, Red Rover. Made the pastor come over. I stepped in a hole and had another knee surgery. Now, that was knee surgery uh, number three and learning how to walk number four. And then in 2014, when we were opening this building, this sanctuary, I just had knee surgery, um, the Russell Westbrook surgery, actually. And so I had to get up on that knee again as we were opening the church. And then, of course, in 2019, I had a full knee replacement. I had to start over and start over and start over. And for all of you who've had that experience, you know what I'm talking about. It's both glorious and painful. And part of the pain of it is we're not choosing it. It's something that has happened to us, and we have to figure out how to live with that. Well, the people of Israel also had some things not go their way. There was the northern kingdom of Israel... And it fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. This is the area of what would be modern day Syria today. Here's a map. Uh, You can see Jerusalem over here all the way over to the left. Um, And here's Syria up here. And then all the way up over here is going to be a really huge Assyrian empire uh, back at that time. And these folks are going to come down. They're going to take these folks um, just north of Jerusalem, actually. And they're going to take these people up here. Uh, The dividing line between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah is nine miles north of Jerusalem. And so in in 586, the southern kingdom of Judah fell to Babylon in 586. And those folks are going to be taken from Jerusalem all the way over here to Babylon, to the Babylonian Empire, which today would be modern day Iraq. So the northern kingdom in 722 up to Assyria and the southern kingdom of Judah down to Babylon in 586. Now it's in this scenario, um, around 586, 600, that a young Jeremiah was appointed prophet to King Josiah in 626 B.C. So roughly 40 years before the fall of Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah is going to grow and mature and try to save his people um, really from this destruction and so from 597 to 587 B.C., Jeremiah warned King Zedekiah not to revolt against Babylon. God had spoken into his life, into his heart, and he said, you know, this isn't going to end well. Do not revolt against them. You're not going to win. This is going to be terrible for your people. And so he, he told them that. Now, that was not um, very popular. Not then, not now. Try telling your friends that it's not going to go well for them. And nobody really appreciates that, even if it's true. And so, of course, the revolt breaks out. It broke out anyway. And Jeremiah was imprisoned until after the fall of Jerusalem. Did Jeremiah do what God asked him to do? Absolutely. What did he get for it? Jail time. Until his very city was destroyed. And so what do we do when starting over is forced upon us in the same way it was um, for Jeremiah, for the people of Israel, for the people of Judah, and for us today? Well, one of the things I hope we'll learn um, from our ancestors is this. Don't listen to voices of false hope promising immediate deliverance. That always happens. Somebody tries uh, to make, you know, a gain politically by saying that they've got a quick and easy answer. And there's a lot of people that flow to that all the time. doesn't matter what the the tragedy is. um, There's always going to be somebody trying to profit from that. And it's been true all the way since the time of Prophet Jeremiah. And so I want you to see what happens um, back in the letter that Jeremiah wrote to his people. The Bible says this, In that same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, yep, Jeremiah's not the only prophet. There's actually warring prophets in the political system of the day. So back then there's also a, prof- a prophet Hananiah who spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priest and all the people saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord. Within two years, it was going to be a lot longer than that. You see, when bad things come, we have to tell the truth. We have to accept the reality of what we're living in. And tell the truth about the situation, even if it's difficult. It wasn't going to be two years. It was going to be 70 years. And Jeremiah knew that. And he was sharing that. He had told them all along not to go against Babylon. But they were prideful, nationalistic. They didn't think anything could touch them. Of course, here's Hananiah to spur that on. Because they loved hearing that, even though it wasn't true. So then the prophet Jeremiah spoke back to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priest and all the people. It was a very public event who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah, what does he do? Well, he says to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you and you made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I'm going to send you off the face of the earth. And within this year, you will be dead because you have spoken rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. People started listening more and more to Jeremiah, you might imagine. So what does Jeremiah say is the way that leads to life for these people at this time? What he says really is confusing and it it doesn't seem like what you would expect. What Jeremiah says is to work and to pray for the welfare of the city. Well, what city is he talking about? He's talking about the very city that they have been taken to in exile. They're overrun by people who have basically enslaved them or have overpowered them. They're, they're supposed to work and pray for their oppressors. No, nobody likes that, but that's exactly what Jeremiah is saying. It's for their good and for their survivability. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And of course, that makes sense. That's absolutely true. Wherever you live, what's going on around you, particularly the people who have authority over you, you want it to go well with them because as it goes well with them, it goes well with you. God's trying to protect us all the time, God's trying to help us all the time. But sometimes we have to get out of the way. And the other thing is, We have to remember that God is God and we are not. And so God's promises, while true, they come true in God's time. It's not on our timetable, no. It's not going to be in two years like Hananiah promised. It's going to be 70 years, a full lifetime of that day. So thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with, say it with me, hope. But that hope is something that's going to happen both now, as they pray for their city and their captors, all the way for 70 years. Something they'll never see. Because people of that day understood 70 years to be the period of a lifetime. That whole generation is going to die off before things get better. Thus says the Lord. What do you do with that? Well, Jeremiah says the way to live into that is to live at peace and to hold on to hope for your children and your grandchildren. When we can get ourselves out of the way, when we can actually serve others, when we can think beyond ourselves, miracles happen. Beautiful things happen. Peace comes. Restoration comes to us. Then when you call upon me, come and pray to me. I will hear you, God says. When you search for me, you will find me, God says. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore you. Your fortunes, gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God's going to bring them back to Jerusalem. And of course, we know the The temple will be rebuilt. There will be a temple in Jesus' day. The people will come out of exile, both um, from Assyria, from the north, and from Babylon and the south. This hope, it's powerful, and it changes the world. Archbishop Desmond Tutu says it like this, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. What is this hope that the Bible talks about? What is this hope that Bishop Tutu um, lifts up for us? Well, according to Joseph Bellezzo, he says it like this Hope is the bridge between the impossible and the possible. Isn't that great? Hope is the bridge between the impossible and the possible. But friends, make no mistake, hope is not a wish. It's not a wish. When you say, Oh, you know, I, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Well, that's not hope. That's a wish. You can't determine whether it rains tomorrow. No, that's not in your power. That that's a wish so we have to get past this notion that we can just say we hope for something when it's really a wish. No, hope is a verb. Hope is an action. Hope has intention. Casey Gwynn and Chan Hellman in their book say this, hope is the belief that your future can be brighter and better than your past and that you actually have a role to play in making it better. Yep, hope is a verb. Hope is an action. Hope is an act. It's something that you do. Will you say this with me? Hope is an act. It's something that we do together. We work for the good of ourselves and others, for our community, for our city, wherever we may live. And I love the way Rick Snyder says it. He says, hope means you can get there from here. You can get there from here. As you hold on to hope, you can begin to see you just take one step and you trust God with the next, and then you take another step and you trust God with that. And before you know it, you can get there from here. And the thing about our faith and our ancestry is this Judeo-Christian hope. It's not in ourselves. It's not us pulling up by our bootstraps. It will take our best effort, but we don't do it alone. We do it by the grace and the power and the help and the mercy of God. In the early church, Paul wrote to the early church in Rome um, with these words, Therefore, Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope, not in ourselves. We boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We hope through the risen Jesus Christ. David Brooks writes about discovering incredible stories of hope in the hardest of circumstances. He writes, Vaclav Havel grew up in a communist Czechoslovakia. Havel was thrown into prison in 1977 for his dissident activity and discovered that material reality is not the fundamental driving force in human history. Havel concluded that spiritual reality is that fundamental driving force. While in prison, in prison, Havel found an unbounded joy at being alive, at having been given the chance to live through all he lived through. Havel wrote, I was flooded with a sense of ultimate happiness and harmony with the world and with myself. I was somehow struck by love, he wrote, from prison. In another instance, Viktor Frankl experienced life in Nazi concentration camps as a constant assault on his dignity. He found that he couldn't control his life, but he could control his responses to what was imposed upon him. And his life became not only a physical struggle, but a spiritual one as well. A struggle to protect his own humanity from the dehumanizing conditions that surrounded him. Frankl discovered that while the body grows according to what it consumes... The soul grows by the measure of love it pours out. Frankel wrote, We who live in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance, to choose one's own way. Friends, there's a power and a dignity and a peace that defies all understanding that comes from God, even in prison and even in a concentration camp. So there is this Judeo-Christian hope that's not in ourselves. It's in something much greater than ourselves. But as Christians, friends, our hope, our hope is in Jesus. Will you say that with me? Our hope is in Jesus. And Paul writes again to the early church. He says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for you and me, before we did anything good. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us and that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely than now, that we have been justified by his blood. Will we be saved through him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Friends, we are saved by the life of Jesus. We worship not a martyr, but a savior. Jesus Christ, our Lord and savior, the one risen from the dead, ascended, who sits at the right hand of God, the father almighty to judge the living and the dead. So how do we live into this hope, this hope of the resurrection, this hope that stands in the face of hardship and persecution and very difficult circumstances? Well, I want to offer up two action steps for us this week. The first is this, to seek the good of someone you think of as enemy, someone who doesn't think like you. What would it be like for we, the people of God in this day, to hear the words of the prophet Jeremiah again, that we would actually seek the good and the welfare of our city. Both people that think like we do and those who do not. Even those who might have brought us into a place that we didn't want to be, right? Even those who have deported us and taken us to places we don't want to be, that person, how can we bless them? How can we seek the good of that person? Because that changes the world. A second thing we might offer up today is that this week, as we face going back to school, we face starting over, rather than simply tolerating the unfortunate circumstances of the pandemic, right? I mean, we're all trying to do that. We're all just trying to get by. We're all trying to tolerate it. But rather than that, what if we actually intentionally act to comfort and care for someone affected by it? What could you do this week to show care and concern and grace for frontline workers, What could you do for teachers and administrators and students who are going back into an unprecedented time where they're not sure quite what to do? They're having to make it up as they go to do the best they can with what they have. What could you do? Not to just be a bystander or uh, a commentator or a spectator around these issues, but what if you actually held on to hope and acted intentionally to comfort and care for someone affected By what's going on today. I hope you will. Hold on to hope, friends, as we start over this year. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of action, that you are a God of love, you're a God of mercy, and you are a God who tells us to seek the good of our city, to seek the good of others, to seek the welfare of everyone around us, even those who would do us harm. To bless and not curse, to love and to not hate, to be people of joy and of peace and of hope, even in the middle of starting over. And we thank you, Jesus, that you've taught us even how to pray by saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, friends, I want to say thank you for being with us today. It is our great joy and privilege to have church online and to have you as a part of our Acts 2 faith community. As a part of this sermon series starting over, I hope that you will let us know if you are with us as we head into 2022. We're already making plans for a great year next year, and we need to know who's a part of our faith family. So if you consider yourself a part of our faith family, I hope you'll uh, send us an email, send us a text, uh, chat in the chat, let Pastor Brandon know. And and we want to know that you are with us. And we hope you will be as we start over and we look into 2022 together.